Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, uh, Daniel Mallory Ortberg, also known as Dear Prudence. Almost forgot which order that came in, but I like to think that I saved it rather neatly. With me in the studio this week is Anita Sarkeesian. She is a media critic and the founder of Feminist Frequency. You can hear her every week as one of the hosts of the podcast Feminist Frequency Radio. She's also the co-author of the forthcoming book, History Versus Women, The Defiant Lives That They Don't Want You to Know, which is out this fall. Anita, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being willing to, you know, hang out in a basement in Berkeley. (laughs) I love hanging out in basements in Berkeley. And tell people how to live their lives. Well, I am (laughs) in many ways a child both of California and the Midwest, so I have a real fondness for hanging out in basements and telling people how to live their lives. When I moved to California, I was like, where are all the basements? They don't no have one, basements. No one. Here. No basements. Where do kids hang out? Like where do they, where do you get high for the first time? I, if not in a basement. I was gonna say I sometimes don't really feel like I'm getting to know people until I have felt like the slight increase in humidity and drop in temperature that comes from <laughs> sitting in even a fully furnished basement. Yeah. Like there's just that basement feel. And the smell of a basement. Yes. Yeah. Oh, uh, when I was in sixth grade, our basement flooded um, while we were away on vacation. And when we came back, like we had to have high powered fans on to keep the mildew from spreading. And that was the summer that the uh, the Zelda game um, Ocarina of Time came out. Mm-hmm. My brother and I spent the entire summer playing that game and just breathing powerful mildew fumes <laughs> to such an extent that whenever I smell mildew to this day, I feel like, happy. Oh, Zelda. Yeah, I feel like I'm hanging out with my brother <laughs> playing this video game that I love. Like it just it brings back very fond memories for me. That's amazing. Uh, It is. It is amazing. Um, I hope that we can give everyone who needs advice today that sort of feeling. A little mildewy, close (laughs) with their brother, like they're performing an activity that's meaningful and exciting and challenging. And um, we may not be able to do that, but I think it's it's a good thing to, to go for. So the subject line of the first letter is, am I being too demanding of my friend? And it's about religion and race and appropriation and sharing and conflict and... It's everything. It's everything all at once. It's everything you need in a letter, not in life. I don't know that this letter writer needs this. Dear Prudence, I'm friends with two people, Blue and Green. Blue and I get along fine, but she suddenly became interested in my culture in a very weird and borderline fetishistic way. She's a white Catholic. I'm a black Muslim. She decided she was going to convert to Islam and promptly started using Arabic words to refer to herself and started a popular blog that really centered her as an authority on this religion. This upset me, and when I asked her to back off a little and not treat my culture like a costume, she refused and blocked me. I'm not exactly bothered by that. I am, however, bothered by Green's reaction. Green is a Chinese Buddhist and has faced similar problems with white people acting the exact same way with her culture, yet she thinks I'm being too sensitive and demanding of Blue. I'm frustrated. I know I can't ask Green to end her friendship with Blue, but it hurts to see Green share Blue's name and content everywhere, and her taking Blue's side makes me feel like she doesn't care at all about issues that affect me. Am I being too sensitive over this? So before we wade into this, I think it's also just really helpful to acknowledge, like, I, I am white and I am a non-Muslim. So I, I don't want to feel like I'm setting this up as, like, I, I'm going to be able to, like, sort this all out or that I'm not coming from a very specific place. Because um, this has to do with both religion and race um, in, I think, some pretty profound ways, right? Like, it's not just 
one or the other. Yeah, absolutely. They're intrinsically tied in a lot of ways and the complications of that. Uh, same. I'm not religious. Uh, I'm white-ish. I'm white passing. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, this was a this is a tough one because like religion is very personal to people. Um, and cultural appropriation is real. And I think that they have a right to be frustrated in this particular scenario. I I I also think that having their friend who is intimately aware of how Buddhism gets appropriated, especially by white folks, just kind of be like, can I swear on this? Yes. Cool. Be like, fuck you. <laughs> right? Like, this is fine. The other thing I was thinking about with this is that sometimes when we learn about new things and become interested in new things, we become really hyper-obsessive with them. And I feel like that might be what's happening here. The the drive to feel like I have to prove that I am this thing, right? Like, this isn't the same, but it reminds me of when I started learning about privilege and oppression, where I was like, oh, I got to call out privilege and oppression every time I see it. And I was so annoying to be around. So what is that line where you get to say, hey, you like you need you need to back off and chill just a little bit, even though we this is a thing that we can, you know, ha- like we can discuss and be a part of together. Right. It seems like um, part of what is painful for this letter writer is this sense of um, I sort of expected from this white woman that when I told her that she had done something that had made me feel like pushed to the side and talked over as a black Muslim woman. Um, I'm sorry, I actually assumed that the letter writer um, is a woman just because the other two people are women, but it's possible that this is a man. Um, Or non-binary. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so it's sort of like I expected that. I understand. I have seen this from white people a lot before, um, but I was also hoping for some solidarity um, from somebody who, while not black and Muslim, um, is a person of color and is a non-Christian person. Um, And I was hoping for solidarity, understanding, some emotional support and I didn't get it. Um, and so the question, am I being too sensitive is sort of like, no. Yeah, exactly. The answer like, is no. Yeah. It's like, because both of these people kind of ignored me when I tried to bring up my feelings, am I the problem? Um, and I don't think that that's the case. Like, it, you know, I look at this letter and you were not saying don't convert to Islam or don't talk about this religion. It was, you know, Hey, you converted to this religion real recently, and your blog kind of posits you as the end-all, be-all expert um, in something that, you know, if you live in the United States and you are a Black Muslim, you have experienced probably a fair amount of um, discrimination, misunderstandings, judgment. Like, this is not something that people are like, oh, cool, tell me all about it. Whereas for her, because she's a white adult convert, um, she does not experience that same oppression that you do um, because she is not black. So there's a lot of ways in which um, I, I, I think it really makes a lot of sense that you said seeing you get kind of set up as this like fun authority for something that has been an intrinsic part of my identity my whole life, often in ways that um, have not met with quite the same fun applause I would love for you to kind of be aware of that, be aware of the history of this religion that you're joining. And her answer to that was to block you. Yeah. And it's really disappointing that that person can't take the time to self-reflect, right, to step back and be like, oh, I'm hurting my friend. Like, can I reflect on that? And sometimes that means that you have to step away from that friendship if they can't see that you're hurting, right? I often think that the answer to am I being too emotional is usually no. Like the people who are asking that question 
are often more self-reflective and are taking the time to really, like, look at a particular situation and analyze their their place in it. And, you know, like, this is a really hard thing, but I don't think that they're overreacting. Yeah. So the the real issue, right, is what do I say, if anything, to my friend Green? Um, because I'm not especially interested in maintaining a friendship with this white woman who talks over me, doesn't listen to and me. blocks me when I'm like, hey. Right. And, and who chill. wants to treat her conversion as something that exists in a vacuum rather than especially in America um, as a religion that is very closely tied to race and perceptions about race um, and who wants to just ignore that. So that part's pretty clear. You're not going to really resume that friendship. That's not a person that you want to talk to a lot. Makes sense. The question is sort of like, um, is it worth trying to rebuild some sort of connection with this non-black person of color friend of mine um, who does not understand the very specific ways in which being a Chinese Buddhist woman is different from being a black Muslim and the ways in which I like where I'm coming from. And that's really, I think, up to the letter writer. Um, I, I hope that the letter writer has people um, in their life who sees where she's coming from. Um, I, 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 sorry, I may occasionally say she. Um, I, I'm, I'm just making that assumption. I think that's a sure, sure. Yeah. likely possibility. Um, who, who, who are not trying to shut you down, who are willing to listen to you. Um, hopefully, who also share like your Muslim background, um, and who are able to like help you talk through what you want, what you expect, um, and to think through. You know, do I trust my friend Green enough to say? Um, if we were able to continue a friendship, I I would love if you would not like bring up blue around me. Um, I'm feeling uh, like I'm not being listened to when it comes to her, and it would it would be painful for me if you were to like share a bunch of her stuff or or pause, like put her up as some sort of authority on on something that's been my experience. Can you do that? And if her answer to that is no, then I think it's. Then I think you're right to say I feel like she doesn't care about the way that this affects me, um, even if she says that she does. Um, and that's painful. And I'm so sorry that you're not getting that because, you know, just because she feels one way about white people having – I mean, I, I live in Northern California. You live in Northern <laughs> California. We have all seen white American um, mm-hmm. relationships to Buddhism that are – Sure have. Sometimes – fraught, um, <laughs> sometimes appropriative, um, sometimes, you know, meant in good faith. And yet uh, the way that they are worked out in practice is pretty gross, um, which is not to say that anybody who takes an interest in any religion outside of their own background is automatically doing something wrong, just that religion doesn't exist in a vacuum. Sure. I mean, it's a larger, this is a larger systemic analysis for how you engage with cultures that are not of your own background. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I think it's, you know, it sounds like if uh, Green is the Buddhist, right? Mm-hmm. It sounds like if Green can't at least try to empathize and understand where you're coming from, that that might be a relationship that needs to take a little break. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that will be sad and that will be hard. Um, and I, I, I hope that you have other people in your life who do pay attention um, and who, when you say things like, I feel hurt and talked over, say, I'm so sorry. What do you need? How can I help? Um, and if you need to take that break and you need to mourn the that, um, that you can. But no, not to feel like I'm totally out of line for having any feelings about this. Um, I should not have asked anything. Like you are not saying don't convert. You're not saying don't become interested in Islam. You're not saying any of those things. Yeah. Like what you said was just 
can you can you take a break for a minute of of acting like you invented this thing <laughs> that I've actually had my whole life? Like it makes me it reminds me a little bit of um, when Trump was elected and all these white dudes were like, oh, my God, activism. And you're like, yeah, yo, we uh, been around for a while. Like you should just be around and observe and support when you can. And it's the same kind of principle here in terms of like recognizing the history of where and where you're coming into it. Not that that's the advice we're giving, but but yeah. yeah and then because then the kind of pushback response to that is often, oh, so I so I shouldn't care about this thing at all. And it's like, why do you associate dominating something with the only way of caring? Right. About it? right yes. Why is that the only relationship that you can see between yourself and this? Yeah. Um, so yeah, you were you were asking her not to have like a domineering, dominating. Let's go ahead and call it colonial a pro, a mm-hmm. relationship to Islam. And, her, you know, her answer to that was no. And your friend's response to that was it's not that big a deal. Um, and, you know, your feelings about this matter, where you're coming from matters. Um, it's OK. It's really, really OK to have feelings about this. And I hope you can find other people in your life um, who have your back. All right. This next one <laughs> is so, oh, my, just weapons grade pettiness is what's going on here. Yeah. You want me to I would it love it if you would All read right. it. I just want to visualize this. <laughs> yeah. This is amazing. All right. The subject is X next door. Dear Prudence, earlier this year, I bought a new townhouse and proceeded to have exquisite no-strings-attached sex with my very hot single neighbor. His ex had cheated on him, and he kicked her out. We went hot and heavy until our interest waned, and it became apparent we really didn't have anything in common beyond the physical. We broke things off as friends. Three months ago, he got back together with the girl who cheated on him, and he told her about us. Now she has made it her mission to mark her territory and make my life miserable. She walks her yappy little dog and lets it defecate in my yard. If my neighbor leaves, she plays thudding bass heavy music that makes my teeth rattle and claims ignorance when I complain. His house is the last on the row. My car has been keyed, my trash cans kicked over, and my flowers have been ripped up. Then whenever I see her, she acts like a doll and makes very sympathetic noises about my troubles. My neighbor doesn't believe she is capable of doing this, but I really don't trust his judgment at this point. Our HOA is basically useless for anything but collecting fees. My friends tell me to get cameras and call the cops when she acts out. I'm worrying about escalation. I don't want to call the cops. I just want her to leave me alone. Oh, <laughs> I mean, first of all, the problem here is homeownership, right? Like, it's just <laughs> I know. property is the issue. As soon as I saw I bought a townhouse, I was like, oh, this is not going anywhere good. Yeah, no, this no. is not the, the path of righteousness and joy. Can I can I tell a little, a little story real Always. quick? Always. <laughs> so as I was reading this, as I was like, oh, God, this sounds like an awful situation. I r- forgot this memory. Um, I dated a woman for like three months. We weren't even together for very long. Mm-hmm. But every time I parked outside of her house, I would come back out the next morning and my tires would be flat every goddamn time. Whoa. And it wasn't just, you know, okay, so your tire, if you puncture it by rolling over something, you can just fill that hole and you still can patch t- it, right? Yeah, you yeah, can yeah, patch yeah. it. It was on the side every time, which meant I spent a fortune. In new tires for this relationship. I also walked out of a club once and my car was keyed and I had just bought this car. Okay, I have to ask, do you think it was her? I think it was her ex. But I don't know which one. Wow. <laughs> so, so I don't you know never who like, it was. Never figured it out. You never out. like did a stakeout and no. tried to see. No. I also had a different situation where um a someone I wasn't even dating yet uh threw my computer out a window in the middle of Boston snow. 
So that was fun. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I don't. And I, it sounds like the relationship was still to come. So there was like worse in the future. It was fine. I also, my life is not this dramatic, but I was just having these memories of like, oh, right, this happened. Yeah. So, yeah, dealing with these situations is really um, challenging, especially like when I read this, to me, it's like, yeah, all of these horrible things are happening. But the sheer frustration of being gaslit is right. what is really what really gets me here. Like, nobody believes me. Am I actually making this? Not that she's saying that, but I right. think that you start to believe that, like, is this really what's happening? Right. That he says it couldn't be her. And that and she's, she's like, doing the same thing. butter yeah. wouldn't melt in my mouth. Yeah. Um, it, that would be maddening. <laughs> I've never heard that expression before. <laughs> I think it's old-timey. It just basically means, like, I'm so prim I- and proper and good at homeostasis that my mouth is cool. Sure. I've never really thought through this phrase. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's like, that's awful. And like, this couple sounds like the worst, right? Awful. Like, he should not have told her that he slept with his neighbor when they were broken up. Why would you, why would you say well, that? Well, okay, so I'm, I, yes. And, and but, her but behavior also, is sexist as hell. Sure. Yeah. But also, like, I don't think it's a problem to, like, be... It depends on the context and the people, but it's not a problem to to be honest about, like, what you've been doing since then. Sure, but the but fact that this neighbor- woman... But the fact that, like, you don't have a healthy enough relationship or this person isn't stable enough to be able to deal with feelings of jealousy, then right. that's a problem, right? right? Not, like... Yeah. No, not that if you get back together with someone, you should pretend that nothing happened. But, like... If you know that they sometimes are jealous or if, sure. you know, this is somebody they'll have to see every day and it might bring up some issues, yeah. you know, think carefully yeah. about that. I would say I very, very rarely would ever, if ever, say call the cops. That's not a thing that I would <laughs> be down with. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't I don't I don't know what to do. I don't think calling the cops is the answer here. Yeah, I, I just I just don't know. Like, this is on a level that, like, I don't think the cops are going to prioritize, like, a little dog They're yapping not. or even sometimes shitting in your yard. Um, you know, you could potentially be able to call in some noise complaints. That's not going to be real high on their priority list. And my guess is she will. Maybe mm-hmm. you set up some cameras and then send those videos to the dude and be like, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, if I mean you, that sounds really if you wanted weird, to set but... up like a camera of your car and your garden, certainly you could probably have a case to um, file some kind of suit for destruction. Well, I don't of even property. mean filing. I mean, you could, but I more like bringing it to this couple and being like, "It's happening! Stop it!" Like I see it happening. I got you. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so one of the so I know it sounds like reasoning that with them doesn't really work, even though I still am kind of like, is there any way to reason with them? Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering if presenting evidence would would exacerbate the situation or if it would actually get them to, like, chill out. Yeah, I I think because I I think the cops are just not going to be helpful in this situation. Um, And I also tend to think unless you have a really good reason and there's nobody else to call, don't. Um, So I just don't think that that's going to be helpful here. But I do think that, yeah, to set up a camera. once you have that evidence to say, like, hey, um, someone's been doing this stuff to my house, so I set up a camera. It was you. Um, I'd Cut sh- it out? Yeah, just, and again, <laughs> like, staying as calm as you need to. Just, like, please stop. Um, and if you don't, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get in touch with a lawyer and figure out the next steps. You know, not, like, shouting or, or, or all that. Just, like, really dispassionately just be like, here's what I have. It is video footage of you keying my car and ripping up my garden. Um would you like to stop or would you like me to get in touch with a lawyer? Um, and and I think that's probably going to be your only option. I don't think it's going to be um, 
I don't think she's going to suddenly have a change of heart. But also just like what a lousy choice on her part, right? To be like, I'm so mad that my boyfriend, who I cheated on, had like no strings attached sex with a woman who doesn't even know me, that now that we're back together, the best thing I can think to do with my time is to try to play the bass at her very loudly. Like, right. Yeah. Work, work out your feelings on your man, lady. Yeah. And like, what does she have to do with any of it? It's, it's yeah, very frustrating. Yeah. So certainly I know you say your HOA is basically useless, but um, I think they'll certainly be more helpful than the cops, if only because they'll care more. Like it is your homeowners association. Set up the camera, get in touch with the HOA, document stuff so that if you ever do need to file a suit, you'll you'll have like a paper trail. Um don't kill the dog. I only say that because I have gotten so many letters over the years of people who are like, can I kill a dog? That I'm worried that like oh my one night at two in the morning, you're going to be like, maybe I should just kill the dog. And that is not good for you. Wow. Or the Do dog. You... Sorry. Or the dog. It's not good for the dog. Wow. Those, that's, no, don't, people, don't do that. People sometimes ask me for permission to kill other people's dogs. Cool. I have I, not said yes. I'm glad. My answer is always no. I might have to leave if you had said yes. Uh, one time someone wrote in and said, I've already killed my neighbor's dog. Do <gasps> I have to tell them? Oh, my God. Uh, you know, uh, the context was that it took place out in the country and they had a lot of livestock that the dogs had been attacking and killing. And they had put up no trespassing signs and said, like, hey, if you don't keep your dogs indoors, we're going to kill your dog. Um, so still... it wasn't like just wanton. But sure, that's still rough. Yeah, you you, you can't just like. Anyways, the point is, no one's trying to kill a dog here. I'm sorry for introducing that topic of conversation. Um, the point is, this woman sounds awful. I'm really sorry. I think that yeah. that's going to be your best way forward. I don't think yeah. that, like, stooping to her level will not make you happy. I guess you, you can't sell your house. You shouldn't that have to. Like you really shouldn't Absolutely. have to. Um, but, yeah, I, I think definitely go to them once you have the footage. And, and that way it's just not an argument. That way you can't just, like, do Yes. They can't hide behind it. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And be like, well... You did, so just don't anymore. Um, camera, yeah. yes. Cops, no. Although I don't feel great about cameras in general. But. I, I know. But I also, like, if you have literally no other options, how else are you going to collect the evidence right. in case you can do something with it, you know? Yeah. Um, actually, uh, this next letter, I think, um, is, is a situation where I do think calling the cops is a valid option. Um, so I... Didn't realize I had paired them together today, but it's kind of nice to have one of each. Uh, so the subject of this is what to do about my neighbor's liquid lunches. Dear Prudence, I live next door to a person who drinks heavily. Every time I talk with this person, I can smell alcohol on their breath. Most evenings, they exhibit more extreme evidence of drinking, slurred speech, and stumbling. Their drinking hasn't affected me in any real way until now. I'm a teacher, so I'm at home during the summers. Last year, my neighbor had a job very close to home. They would bike to and from work and also bike home at lunch. I'm outside on my porch or in my yard nearly every day, and it became very clear that they were coming home at lunch to drink. Drinking and biking is not great, but I've also biked home drunk more than once, and it seems like the biggest risk is for the cyclist. This summer, they have a new job, which is much further away. They drive to and from work every day, including driving home for lunch. Based on what I've seen, it seems like they've also continued the lunchtime drinking. This person has a history of starting disputes with neighbors and has very large arguments with their family, so I don't really feel comfortable talking with them directly. However, if they're drinking and driving on a daily basis, I feel like it's my responsibility to do something. The question is, what is that something? Oof. I, um, so 
you introduced this by saying maybe calling the cops is an option here. I think it's on the table. I think it's me. on the table, too. But I would say it depends on the background of the person. If mm. they are a person of color, if they are trans, if they if there are lots of different aspects of this that I think could make it worse that really take that into consideration before in involving authorities. And we don't know what um, where these people live either. So we don't know the like what the how knowledgeable the police are about different things in life. Um, I'm wondering if there's any way to do like an intervention, like if they know their family at all or if they know people who can come in and like sit, like actually confront them. Because I feel like if you're just the neighbor and you don't know them very well, it, that's a really awkward conversation to have that might n- not go over well. And in my experience with people who have drinking problems, like they don't react well to that. Right. I mean, part of the the problem here is, you know, it's it's of course you don't feel comfortable talking to them directly. This is a person who thinks it's reasonable to drive drunk exactly. to and from work and to and from lunch every day. This is not a well person. This is a person who is, you know, in the throes of some disordered alcoholic thinking. Yeah. Um, and so I do, you know, letter writer, I do want you to keep your own safety in mind. Um, but I also do think... For me, I think this does cross the limit of is what this person is doing serious enough that um, that it would merit that yeah, kind that of intervention. It, it risks other people's lives. And this is every yeah. day. You know, this is every day. And they're coming home to drink more. Um, and, you know, they're stumbling and slurring their speech every night. And this has been going on for what sounds like years. That's a really high risk, right? Like that's on a daily basis. This person is on the road. Um, again, not that like if someone only drives drunk once a year, it's cool, right? Right. But right. like again, just when you're kind of doing the calculus of, um, do I have a sufficient reason to invoke the state on this person? Would um, the do you like? So my experience with cops is that they won't do anything unless something has already happened. So if you're like, I am being threatened, they're like, well, you're still alive, so we can't do anything about it. Would the cops actually intervene in a situation like this? Right. So my my belief would be that it would need to be you have seen them get behind the wheel. They are already driving away. Okay. They are drunk. Um, or at least you you have sufficient reason to believe them to be drunk. And again, I don't think that this person is being too nosy. I don't think they're making no. this up. Yeah. Like, they've seen this person day in, day out. I, I think they are accurately reading the situation. Um, so, yeah, it would need to be uh, this person just left. They're coming from this direction. This is their car. I believe they're driving really drunk, and I think they do it every day. Um, and, you know, the the degree to which a drunk driver can, you know, all it takes is one second um, to end yeah. a lot of other people's yeah. lives. Like, that's pretty – I think the potential for harm there is so high. Um, yeah, that's a good point. That, you know, when it comes to stuff like – I just – oh, God. I just hit coughs. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, I hear you and I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. I may have, like, jumped the gun on this one. But, like, it's just – I get it. Yep. Yeah. 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 No, most most of the time when somebody asks, should I call the cops, generally my inclination is no. Um, I don't feel great about this one. Yeah. Um, but I do think because specifically it's not about this person's right to drink and work or drink and live in their home or drink and, you know, right. make whatever choices they want. It's about specifically having a driver's license and a car that they can operate legally um, when they are doing this on a daily basis. And that's so dangerous Yeah, um, Agreed. that I do think. So I, I think if you can see any way towards the next time you see them saying – are you okay to drive? Um, that probably won't go great. 
they will probably not say, you know what, you're right. What an excellent point. It's <laughs> one o'clock and I'm heading back to work and I'm visibly drunk. As you can see, I'll call a cab. I wonder um, if this person's job notices. Not, not. sorry, this is a, a side, right. a, an aside, but like I'm wondering if other people in this person's life has ever confronted them or noticed or any of that. Like, Yeah. I, I, I really don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I think if you can see any way towards saying that, that would be really good just to kind of get a feel for how that goes. Yeah. If you're just like, I, I, I can't handle getting screamed at, then I think you make the call without that. But I do encourage you to to try. Um, and then I, I, I think you're right. I think the reason that you feel like, I, I think I got to say something is because you see this person do yeah. this every day. Um, and not to make that your responsibility, like it is their choice to get behind the wheel. But that would that would be really hard for, for me to be watching on a regular basis, too, and just wondering, like, is today the day yeah. that I hear something on the news? Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I I, I'm, I'm going with making the call. All right. Next letter. We got siblings. Yeah, we do. We got sudden revelations. Yeah, we do. We got, do I remember my childhood accurately? You want to read it? I do. All right. Subject. Bad guy? Dear Prudence, my siblings and I didn't have the most stable childhood. Mom was abusing her pain meds and dad quickly remarried his 22-year-old intern. My twin brother and I were 16, and my younger sister was 11. My brother lost himself in drugs, and I was the academic overachiever, counting down the days until I could get out and go to college. Our father got full custody since our mother was never sober enough to remember when to feed us. My sister would cling to me and try to climb into my bed every night if she could, but she often wet the bed. It got so bad, my father put a lock on my door and put my sister under psychiatric care. I left as soon as I could. Ten years later, I have a great career, my brother has sobered up, and my father is on wife number four. The 22-year-old intern turned out to be an interesting woman and a great mother. But after I posted about a trip to see my ex-stepmother and half-sister, I got a long, rambling email from my sister wherein she lambasted me for being an evil witch who abandoned her to a Cinderella-like servitude. I was the sole cause for all the misery she had suffered up to this day, and how dare I try to play the part of being a big sister now. I'm not terribly close to either of my full siblings, but we see each other twice a year and occasionally talk on the phone. I never had an inkling that this resentment was brewing. How do I respond to this? Do I ignore it? Do I defend myself? Apologize? Despite the fact that I was a teenager? I have no clue what to do. Please give me some guidance. <laughs> this is a big one. This it's is hard. Huge. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. Well, I... You know, like, I think about how when you're younger and you suffer trauma that, like, it, it makes sense to me that the sister would blame her mm. and put her in that position, regardless of whether it's logical or not. So I kind of understand where the younger sister is coming from, um, even though it is not accurate or it's mm. not right. It mm. doesn't change the fact that she feels that and that that's real to her. Right. Um, that puts our our right... Our, Writer, listener, what do you? Letter writer, letter yeah. writer. Yeah. Thanks. Um, in a really tough position to um, be both sympathetic and also kind of defensive mm -hmm. in terms of of correcting this or or trying to build a relationship with her. Right. Yeah. And, and part of what's hard here is you are just now getting information that your sister experienced her childhood maybe even differently than how you remembered. So I I, I think wanting to defend yourself. I, I understand that impulse. I think what is most important here to see, is there an opportunity for us to talk? 
Um, and it, it, it may be that you try to reach out and she's not available for that or she just wants to shout at you, um, which, again, based on what you've told us, it does not sound like um, you were not harming her. You were not a bad sister. You were also a kid in a really difficult situation um, and were focused on getting yourself out, which, um, while that may have been painful for her, does not mean that you were responsible for any of the ways in which the adults failed her during her childhood. So I think um, rather than, you know, you can ignore it if you want to. Um, you say you guys aren't especially close. Um, this sounds like a pretty intense thing that she sent you. It doesn't sound like she was trying to reach out. Um, so if if you decide, I don't really want to get to know her any better, I don't want to have this conversation, you, you can ignore it. Um, probably that will result in less closeness and you may just start to have some unresolved feelings about that. I think a better option is to to try to get in touch um, with not quite a defense, but to say, hey, we've we've never talked about this before. I was surprised to read some of this. Um, you know, here's how I experienced our childhood. I remember these were the dynamics that were going on. Um, I remember that this was really hard for you. I remember that I was 16 and scared, and I was trying to get out of that house as fast as I could. I know I've developed a different relationship with, you know, our dad and former stepmother since then. It sounds like it's been really different for you. I didn't know a lot of this. Um, I thought you were getting help. I didn't know it was that bad. Um, and so I'm really, really sorry for what you were going through. I do want to hear more about it. Um, but I also, you know, I'm not evil. I was never trying to hurt you. I was a kid also in a difficult situation trying to take care of myself. Um, I think that the the question is, do I defend myself? Do I apologize? And I think that it's it's neither and both in some ways, right? Yeah. That like one, we don't know what you want out of this. Like you're you're getting at is like, what is it that you want to get out of it? Do you want to ignore it? Do you want to patch things up? Do you want to have a relationship? Do you just want closure? You know, that kind of changes the way you approach it, uh, like you were just saying. I think that there's something to uh, acknowledging people's feelings and the hurt that they feel. Mm -hmm. So even if you, like, you don't, you don't need to apologize for what happened and how they feel, but you can recognize and validate their feelings yeah. and understand that, like, that there was a lot of harm done to her as well as there was to you. And um, I think that we culturally don't get uh, – what am I trying to say? We don't really – understand the value of just validating people's experiences and how they feel. And it's not a matter of saying, like, I'm like I'm personally responsible or I'm personally sorry for this thing, but that, like, I'm genuinely sorry that you felt that way. And not in that condescending, like, right. I'm sorry, I'm sorry fake apologies, yeah, yeah, but yeah. in the, like, I'm really sorry that this happened to you and that, like, this harm was done to you and I believe you. Right. And right. I think that that is a, a good opening and a good way to start you know, having the, this conversation and seeing if she's receptive to that. Yes. Because that's going to give you a good gauge of whether she's even willing to open up and be vulnerable and have have this space with you. Right. Um, and that does not mean you have to say, yes, you're right. I am an evil witch. It was totally my responsibility to make sure that you were OK as a child and I failed you and that's on me. You you do not have to co-sign to something that she said in a moment of profound pain. And it sounds like maybe not a lot of foresight. Um, so... 
I, I think, to focus on. We've never talked about this before. I was really surprised to see some of this. I'm so sorry because it's so clear you were in a tremendous amount of pain. And, and you've been really, holding on to that. And for you've been so holding long. on to it. Yeah. And I want you to know um, that I was also going through something really hard at that time. I'm so sorry to hear about all this. Um, if you ever wanted to talk about what some of this was like, I would really be available to listen. Um, and I just want you to know I, I care about you and I want you to be well. Um, and that I was also in a really difficult position at that time. And I was doing the best that I could with not a lot of help and not a lot of resources. Um, and if her response to that is just, nope, it's you. Um, it's always been your fault. You know, I think you can have compassion for that because it's coming out of a place of pain, but it's also really misguided. And you don't have to take that on. You don't have to try to fix that. Like, if that's her response, then I think you can say, all right, well, I, I don't think we can, you know, if, if all you want to do is tell me that I should have been your mother or your father, um, when I was a scared kid myself whose twin brother was like descending into drug addiction and who felt totally alone, you know, I'm not going to take that on. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that your suffering wasn't real and that I don't care. Um, hopefully she's receptive, but even if not, um, you know, I think you can separate the real pain that she experienced with the way that she's decided to assign responsibility. Yeah. Because like, I would imagine, you know, you were the person she went to the most readily for comfort in that time. So you're the kind of the safest person to get mad at, right? Because like her dad and her stepmom were so big and far away and just the arbiters of punishment. How can you get mad at this? You know, it's like getting mad at a lightning storm. But the person who was standing near me in the lightning storm, what was their fucking fault I was outside that day? And I, sorry, I don't want to make it sound like she, this was all just an accident that happened to her, or that she's like a crappy person for responding to what sounds like a lot of pretty intense trauma imperfectly. I just mean, you don't have to take that on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this, you know, this is the first time it's coming up. It makes sense that it's not coming up in this really like settled, <laughs> right, perfect way. And you don't know what's going on. At, well, she might. We don't know what's going or they might. Uh, what's going on in their life that's bringing this up mm -hmm. and why right now and have they been in therapy or not and all sorts of all sorts yeah. of stuff happens uh, that can make people lash out like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So speaking of lashing out, mm -hmm. our next letter involves some lashing out and You're some different for that transition. Thank you. And for some <laughs> perspectives, um, different perspectives on what sounds like a pretty jarring moment. Um, the subject is simply hitting. Dear Prudence, when we were in a fierce argument, my girlfriend slapped me across the face. My first instinct was to hit her back, but I didn't. I left the apartment and walked away. I'm twice the size of my girlfriend, and I have a temper. Growing up with five brothers, I learned that the only way to stop them from hitting me was to hit back twice as hard and three times as fast. Getting out on my own, I realized that that is a screwed-up way of looking at the world, but that instinct is still there. My girlfriend apologized to me, but I am still spooked. I could seriously hurt her without thinking about it. We still argue a lot. My friends tell me we need to break up. I love my girlfriend. I have never felt like this before. What should I do? Go to therapy. And break up. Really? Yes. Elaborate. She hit you. You should break up. Um, yeah. I think there are just moments where you can kind of stop and say, if a friend came to me and said, my partner hit me, what should I do? Would I say to my friend, you guys should go to therapy together? Mm. Or would I say, you know, whether or not this other person, whether or not that was out of character, whether or not they are capable of doing better, whether or not they are capable of changing, that's all outside of your control. I'm not saying they're the worst person in the world. I'm not saying that they're about to start, you know, committing really, really violent acts on a regular basis. I'm just saying, do I want for you the kind of relationship that includes the phrase, they hit me? Yeah. 
Yeah. Because um, I, I just don't. I'm, I'm also thinking, and I'm. This is this is all of my patriarchal conditioning. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that it's a woman, and this is a man who's the writer. And so I'm like, oh, the risk is it because they've defined them. It doesn't necessarily have to be that way, obviously, but mm-hmm. they've defined themselves as bigger and willing to. Yeah, I think it's reasonable to assume. So that. I immediately was like, oh well. It's not a physical threat for the letter writer, and therefore they can work it out. But you're right. I, it's it's sad to me that I didn't even consider breaking up in this context because um, if a um, if a friend in a straight relationship had been like that, if she if a female friend had been hit by a man, I would be like, you need to get out of that relationship right away. Mm-hmm. And why is it okay if it's the other way around? Right, because I, I think we do sometimes think oh, it's only about size. If somebody could. If somebody could theoretically, physically get away from you, there's nothing to be afraid of. There's no way for that dynamic to become abusive. Um, but I, I think that, like, it's very clear that this, like, he's, she hit him and he's already worried about what if I hurt her someday. Even though in a moment of extreme provocation, he left, he did the right thing. He engaged with, like, the worldview that he grew up with and and corrected himself, like, you did not do any of those things. And this person is worried enough to write in and think about, like, that there's a lot of insight here into I don't want to be this person. I don't want to do this thing. And I feel these impulses, which gives me a lot of hope for them, mm-hmm. to be honest. And I feel like some of that stuff would be worked out really well in therapy. Yeah. and But the, part of what I mean is the dynamic that I could see springing up is if she's willing to hit you and slap you in the face, which is a very intense and intimate way of striking somebody um and she knows that you're so much bigger than she is like that could also become an abusive dynamic like Absolutely. she knows that you would never do that um and so she starts to hate you and, and that can become tortured and warped and abusive um in, in a way that i don't want for you letter writer so yeah i i don't mean that your girlfriend is a terrible person who could never ever do better um and i know that you guys love her and that you say you've never felt like this before, which first I interpreted as like, I've never loved anyone like this before. And now I'm thinking maybe means I've never felt this conflicted about someone I love. I think I think it's the 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 worry about the physical violence. Yeah. Yeah. So there's the two things here. Right. There's one. There's that fear of what if she does it again? I know that I don't really trust my own temper. What if I hit her? And I think you, letter writer, would not be able to live with yourself if you started doing that. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty important to pay attention to. But the other thing that's bigger than that is what has actually happened. She has hit you. Yeah, which is abuse. And it's just not Mm -hmm. – that does not fall under the category of, well, you know, in every relationship, even a nominally healthy one – Sometimes somebody gets hit. That's just not. No, um, it's not. When you're in the middle of it, it can kind of you can kind of justify to yourself like, well, maybe she didn't really mean it. We were getting really heated. I shouldn't have said that thing. Um, in a way that when somebody else does it, it's so clear. Like, no, 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 you can never deserve abuse. But when it comes from the person you love, who you really thought would never do that to you, um, that script bubbles up. Yeah. And so, of course, you love her. Um, of course, you want to believe that she would not do this again. But the, the the thing for me that just leads me to break up and go to therapy is you say, we still argue a lot. And what I feel like what I'm reading in that sentence is we still argue like that a lot. Right. Like not the way that we argue now is really different. Like we, you know, have I statements and like take <laughs> breaks every 10 minutes and have a mediator come in and are really reexamining how we talk to each other. What that line read to me was, nothing's changed. We still fight like that, and I'm yeah. scared she might do it again. And I'm scared both of, I don't want her to hit me. 
Um, and also, I'm scared of uh, what I might do in response. And that just tells me that this is not a safe relationship for you. Um, so it makes sense that you are spooked. It's great that she apologized. It's also, I think, not enough. You say your friends all tell you that you should break up. And I bet your friends love you. I bet your friends are looking out for you in this. I, I think that you should be really honest with your friends and say, I think that you're right, but there's a big part of me that just wants to justify and explain away what she did and fix this and make everything good again. And I don't think that that's the voice of truth or reality. I think that's the voice of like needing to fix this. And I need some help. Um, can you guys remind me <laughs> that like people shouldn't hit me? Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Because like I bet none of your friends have hit you even in an argument. Yeah. Um, you know, I just... And also for her, like, not that this is about her, but also, like, if she's at the point where she's using physical violence, like, that's a really bad sign for herself and her inner yeah. stuff that's going on as well. And, like, she yes. probably needs to go get work on some of that. Yep. Yep. No, I, I, I got a letter like that in the last episode from the other end from somebody who had not hit but had physically shoved a partner in an argument and was really, like, jarred. And that question was like, am I an abusive person? And the answer there was like, you commit an act of abuse, you need to get your house in order. That needs to be examined. And that was one thing I was thinking about with this as well is like, what are the dynamics that are, is it the dynamic of the relationship? Is it the individual? Is it what What are all the different pieces at play here that really need to get sort of sussed out and worked on so that they don't continue in other relationships as well? Right. Yeah. And and the the temptation here will be, OK, you're right. Maybe we should go to therapy so that we can figure this out together and not have these fights together anymore. Um, and I just don't think I, I, never in my life have I heard of a relationship where in that relationship it's like, well, you know, she hit me. But then we got better together. Right. And also, if you do, uh, a lot of therapists won't let you have couples therapy if there has been any violence in the relationship because it's too high of a risk that you would leave those sessions and violence would ensue yeah. for what comes out of them. So, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah, she needs I she needs need... to work on how she deals with anger and how she argues. Um, it's not okay to hit people no matter how angry you are. Yeah. Um, and she that's not going to be something that she comes back from overnight. She's going to need a lot of time to work through this. And I don't think that it's safe for you to be around um, while that's going on. And so I think that you deserve help and support. Um, I hope very much, you know, your friends say you guys got to break up. So that at least gives me some relief. That they're not saying, but you're a bigger guy. So it doesn't matter. It does matter. People shouldn't hit you no matter how big or small you are. Yeah. Um, and I, I hope you can be honest, reach out for help, find a therapist who's willing to help you um, just kind of walk through uh what you need in this moment. And I hope that the next person that you date not just doesn't hit you, which is a bar that I want you to be able to clear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but you don't worry in the middle of a fight. Is she about to go there? Like, or am I about to go there? Yeah. Yeah. yeah to yeah. just even when you're having a really tough fight where you're feeling really frustrated and upset, where there's yeah. still this sense of, oh, we're safe. We might get real mad. We might like leave the house in a fit of anger. Um, we might you know, be unkind or ungenerous in conversation. We're not going to, like, have this perfect, beautiful fight that's like, well, I feel this way. Thank you for hearing me. Like, <laughs> but where there's just that yeah. basic sense of, oh, I'm safe with that you. That would never cross, you'd never cross that line. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, and it, you, I don't want you to spend a lot of time trying to think, maybe we can get back there together. Um, I don't think that that's going to happen. Yeah. All right. So 
we're just ending on a great note. I'm so sorry. I really did save some of the more intense ones for the back half of this episode. <laughs> That's um, right. Yeah, this next one is... This uh, one sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I, it made me real mad. Yeah. Uh, is this me? Do I read? I yes, forget please. What, I forget what order we're in. All right. Yeah, this one pissed me off a lot. All right. Subject. Boss too much. Dear Prudence, I'm employed at my, until recently, all-time favorite job. I like everything about it, but the number one reason was the relationship I had with my boss. I'm an executive assistant, and we have the same toe-the-line sense of humor. Last week, though, in the parking lot after a charity event, he groped me and asked me for sex. He was very drunk, which was why I stayed late in the first place to be his designated driver. I got out of his car and left immediately after this happened. He followed up with a phone call on the way home, not to apologize, but to reiterate his attraction to me. Now, I don't know what to do. He has promised me and delivered to my predecessor a great promotion to a department of our choice after a few years of service. He's also at the top of the organization. Only the foreign board is above him. He's gone back to joking with me, having never apologized. I also haven't confronted him. He was so drunk that I'm not even sure he remembers it. I have one year until I could be promoted out, as he plans to retire, but my new job is not guaranteed. He wasn't forceful, but he was and always has been highly suggestive. I don't know what I want to do. What are my best options? I am so sorry. Yeah. Fuck that. Yeah. And I, I also just want to point out, you say he wasn't forceful. You said that he groped you. Yeah. Um. That's forceful. You know, I, I, I think sometimes especially when somebody has a lot of power over us, there's a desire to find a way for it to not be that bad. And I don't mean that in any way, letter writer, to fault you. But, like, he groped you. Oh, for sure. And it like, also... that's forceful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's abuse. Yeah. Uh, it's assault. Um, and I do think that, you know, you build relationships with people, and when they, they harm you, you do, like what you're trying to say, you do kind of want to, like, soften it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Especially because he, he's been so charming. He's been such a great boss. They always are. They not always are. Actually, sometimes the <laughs> shitty bosses do that too. But yeah. like, oftentimes those yeah. things go hand in hand. The charm is there, so that when he wants to do something like this, he knows that you really don't want him to do that, and you really want to find a way to excuse him. It makes me think of the recent Roseanne debacle, where like I don't, I don't get like, like people don't just like get fucked up on whatever and then become racist right mm -hmm. like this guy didn't just get drunk and then decide he wants to assault you um he, you know like this is there it's not like it came out of nowhere mm -hmm. um and i feel like it's really easy to brush it off as like oh he was just really drunk and didn't know what he was doing which i got to say too like he was so like presumably before he got drunk he was making his plans for the evening and he was like, I'm going to get so drunk that my executive assistant has right? to drive me. Like, that's. That, so I read that as like, they're just really close. Like, she made the she made the comment that they both have the toe the line sense of humor. So I'm assuming that there's some like uh, camaraderie sexual, or well, oh. I'm, I'm thinking that there's like some like questionable jokes and comments. Mm, okay. And like, you know, there's a little bit of the like. I'm down, you know. Sure. Stuff. I'm not like a regular boss. I'm a fun boss. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And that she like she. It sounds like she participates in that willingly, like that, the way that with, she described it. With the it. thought of, I thought we both knew that we were joking. Yes. That and this that you're was my like boss. some slightly blue humor, not that, that this was a prelude to what happened. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. so what do we do in this situation? Who do we turn to to ask for help? 
who's going to be our ally in this? Who's going to help us out? How do we look out for ourselves? Um, how do we get this guy fucking fired? Which yeah, I realize which, may not be possible. Yeah, and also I don't know if she uh, or they um, would consider that. Right. You know? I, I think you should, letter writer. I just want you to know, again, whatever you, you may or may not decide to do any number of things. Um and I know that you otherwise have thought of him as a really great boss. And I just want to really make a case for, um, I think you should go to the board. Um, yeah. Is there an HR department? Yeah. Go where over you his head and say, so last week my boss got drunk, groped me, um, asked me to have sex with him, and then called me again later after I left to ask again. That's not, ooh, he made a slightly suggestive comment and he needs a talking to. That's... You should be fired. He should be fired. Yeah. He should absolutely be fired. Agreed. So that, that's, that's, I think that's, that's what I would do. And I would have a really hard time with that. I mean, like, I'm not saying, oh, it's going to feel easy. You'll feel great. Everyone's going to, like, be super, super cool about it from jump. Um, but I think that that is something that you should consider. And um, if, if you have friends that you can talk to, family members that you can talk to to ask for help in, like filing that complaint and making that request. I hope that you can get it. Um, I also want to be aware that you just may hear that and say, I'm never going to do that. Absolutely yeah. not. And I want to I want to have some backup options for you in case that's something you feel safe or comfortable doing. Do you feel like talking to the boss is a good idea? Like addressing the situation? Not, not alone. No, I don't trust him alone with her. Um, I, I, I imagine he would either say something like, I don't remember that there like and and not that he would say I don't remember that and I'm so horrified by my own behavior that I'm going to resign right now and get my life in <laughs> well, order. Well that would be the dream. That would be amazing. Um That's that that would happens. be great. Yeah. Um so I do think if you um wanted to have that conversation with him, I I do think HR would need to be present. Um I I do think at the very least it would need to be like on company property somebody would need to know that you were with him talking about this so that you could like ask for help if he yeah i wonder if they have any allies at work that they trust yeah um that they could confide in this and also if he's done this to you who else has he done this to right right i mean i, I would be kind of surprised if this was the very first time in his life this had ever happened yeah um especially given that you know he he also has kind of a history of testing the waters by like doing towing the line humor mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um you know, I know you say that only the foreign board is above him and and that, that stacks the deck against you. I get that. But I I also really, really hope that somebody out there in that company, when you tell them this, is in your corner immediately. Um, so, it, you know, if if you decide I, I, I can't ask to have him fired, I, I'm not willing to do that. Um, is there a way to say, hey... Um, what happened last week made me really uncomfortable. Um, I want you to not grope me and ask for sex again. I mean, Jesus, what a sentence. Yeah, it's like, what are you? Uh, yeah. Yeah, like, and is there anyone else you can work? Like, can you I mean, at that point, consult a lawyer. At that point, consult a lawyer. Yeah. Uh, and frankly, consult a lawyer right now. I, I don't know where my head's been at. Jeez Louise, consult a lawyer. Tell them what you just told us. Because um, you need to look out for yourself. Like, you have, I do not have faith that if you were to talk to this guy and say, hey, don't grope me or ask me for sex again, 
um, that he would not try to paint you out to look yeah. like that. He, he, he I, I think he would try to turn on you. He would first try to manage you. He would try first to say, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I don't remember. Maybe I have a drinking problem, um, which he might and is not the point. Um, uh please forgive me. I'll never do that again. And if that doesn't work, then he would go with, well, I would really hate for you not to have a future in this industry. Exactly. Um, so I think yeah. you need to speak to a lawyer. Um, and I think you have a pretty solid case um, if he ever were to try to retaliate, but you need to look out for yourself. And and I think hoping and trusting that he's just never going to do something like this again. Um, I, I don't know that that's going to, that that's very likely. And I don't know that like, you shouldn't have to quit. You shouldn't have to just, like, quit and go work somewhere else. Um, I, I think you should I think you should speak to a lawyer. Because this is really, letter writer, I bet you have never done this. I bet you have <laughs> never been assigned an intern um, and then, you know, made them drive you home after you got really wasted, groped them, demanded sex, and then called later to say, hey, remember before when I sexually harassed and assaulted you in the parking lot? Can I do that again? Like, I can't believe the nerd. I just, uh, I was, my blood was boiling reading this reading this one yeah yeah you know the implicit fear is i've been promised a promotion if i make waves i won't get it you know if that i feel like is what silences a lot of women all the time is that like the fear of retaliation in the workplace of not being promoted of not moving up in their career like i hear this time and time again and like that is really powerful Mm -hmm. and that's real that's a a weapon that these powerful men wield to keep us silent and and the one thing that the one thing that you can have in your corner is that this is really actionable stuff. Yeah. You know, if if promotions are withheld from you, if working conditions are made impossible for you as a result of your uh, rejecting your boss's forced attentions, you've got a case. Um, and again, I, I I understand that you may feel like I don't want to have a case. I want to have a career. I don't want to dedicate all this time and energy on the side to litigating this and going through what I know people go through when they talk about their experiences with assault in the workplace. Um, I just want to keep my head down and get a great promotion, get away from this guy. And I hate that he put you in that position. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's what's so shitty. It's like doing that would be in some ways like getting a part-time job. Yeah. A part-time job where you pay the money (laughs) and there's no guarantee that it's going to result in the good thing. But I really do believe strongly that you have a solid case, that you deserve um, a real opportunity at this company or any other that is not dependent upon your receptiveness to being pawed at, um, and that he has no right to just act like it never happened and go back to business as usual. And I'm th- there was nothing in the in the letter that is making me say this, but I just want to say this mm-hmm. is that like you didn't do anything to make this happen. You didn't like. Th- in no way is this your fault. Right. Joking around the water cooler with him once in a while does not mean like, well, of course I signaled to him that I'd be into that. Like, just in case you were ever going to yeah. mentally go there. I think you're right. Because, like, that does seem maybe like why the letter writer included that line of like. And again, maybe you're not there, in which case disregard that last point. But, yes, yeah. there's no just way. Just for you... anyone else who might feel that way. Because it's so easy for us to get into that like, oh, God, what did we do yep. to make this happen? And you did nothing. Yeah. Um. Yeah, whether or not he, you know, you say he was so drunk, I'm not sure he remembers. Whether or not he remembers, he still did it. Yeah. Like, frankly, if he doesn't remember and you tell him, the correct response should be shock and horror and I need to change my life. Yeah. Um, And I need to face consequences immediately. That that would be 
the thing. And if he does remember it and he's just pretending not to. Fuck this. Yeah. Uh, This is just, this is not what executive assistants are for. (laughs) Guys. Nope. Yeah, sorry. I'm just I'm just de- devolving into like inarticulate cursing at this point. Um, but Re- I'm really re- sorry you're in this position. Reasonable response. I'm sorry you're in this position. Um, you know, you deserve every opportunity to. You should have his job. Maybe not right now because you're at executive assistant level, but like you should be getting fast track to replace this guy. He should not be in a position of power and authority, and you should. Um, because look at what he's done with it. Look at what he's done with the like using his power resources and power that he's been given. He chooses to get wasted at charity events and hit on twenty two year olds and, and have they don't them respond, drive you home, them. right? This I'm gonna man, get drunk, so you got to drive me home. This man is <sighs> so high up in the company that only a foreign board is above him. He can't afford an Uber. He can't call a cab. You're kidding me with this? Like, he it's does shady. not need it's all yeah. kinds of shady. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was really long. Um, at least speak to a lawyer. It may help just to know you have the options. You can go talk to and consult with a lawyer um, without hiring them and and giving them tons and tons of money or committing to doing anything. Like they're bound by lawyer-client confidentiality. Yeah, it's good to know your options and what's out there. Yep. Yeah. And so even just to talk through somebody who is specifically experienced in the area of workplace harassment and who will say, here are the things that are available to you. Here's the ways in which I can fight for you. Um, that might just help you make a different decision, even if you ultimately decide not to file a claim. Um, I think that will hopefully make you feel like you have agency here, and I want you to feel that way. Yeah. And I hope bad things happen to him and yeah. that he changes his life and that um, you do great. <laughs> Anita. Yes. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming. <laughs> I don't on know the how show. you do this every week. This is a lot. I mean, you're I, very good at this. Thank you. I do get paid, so sure that part helps a lot. Um, <laughs> they're not always all this intense, but I definitely am feeling more than a little envious that you're about to like do some fun stuff. Uh, I spent the morning podcasting before I came over here and talked about really, really heavy stuff, mm-hmm. and then came here and did this. So it's been. It's been a delightful day. I hope you are on no more podcasts for the rest of the day, <laughs> possibly the week. Like, that's just too much. Yeah. No, this is great. And I uh, I think you are doing such good things for the world by running this podcast well, and having really good advice. Thank you so much. It's, you know, we, we got a lot of work to do. Um, it's true. Anita, right. thank you so much for yeah. taking the time. Absolutely. Have a great day. You too. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Max Jacobs. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to Slate.com slash Dear Prudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to Slate.com slash PrudyPod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. You might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location and at your request. You can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds or a minute tops. Thanks for listening. 